Welcome to Discovering Academia, an interdisciplinary podcast with preeminent professors from around the world, striving to stoke the curiosity of scholars everywhere. Today we talk with Sylvia Mihaela, professor of pharmacology at Utrecht University in the Netherlands. Her research focus lies on developing organ-on-chip models. These advanced in vitro systems can mimic the structure and function of many different organs. By utilizing these models, researchers can study specific biological processes without relying on animal experimentation, but also integrating multiple components of human physiology. Sylvia and her team are particularly interested in studying chronic kidney disease and its impact on other organs in the body. In this episode, we talk about all her organ-on-chip research, the need for standardization and validation of these models, and the overall potential for regenerative medicine, and how she is partnering with clinicians to better address the true needs of the people. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, Professor Sylvia Mihaela. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. We'd love to start off by hearing a little bit more about your story and how you got to Utrecht University. Well, it's a very long story, and at times it doesn't have anything to do with science, <laughs> because science is not everything, so life happens. Um, so I am coming from Romania, and I studied physics and chemistry. Mm-hmm. And I was set uh, to have a future in as a teacher of physics and chemistry. And uh, I always had this uh, curiosity, what is out there, what is... I, I lived in a... I was, I, I, I was born in a city that was surrounded by mountains and I always wanted to know what is uh, behind those mountains. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> uh, I had this ambition of uh, see what is out there. And during my studies, I, I wanted to go abroad. So um, a little bit of story on that because I could have... I, uh, my choices were Germany, Spain or Portugal. Mm-hmm. And Germany was too close to Romania, so that my parents would visit me too much, too often, <laughs> and I don't want that. Uh, and uh, at the time, Spain, oh, there were a lot of Romanians in Spain. I, was, I just want to try something new, so I ended up in Portugal. And at that time, I didn't know it that much about the country, so I ended up in Portugal doing an Erasmus uh, mm-hmm. uh, internship, so six months uh, internship during my final year of uh, my undergrad studies, mm-hmm. and I liked it a lot. It was a very diff- uh, d- a different experience academically, but also um, as a yeah uh, uh, coming at age. Adulting, yep. entering adulthood, and I liked it a lot, so I decided to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got an opportunity to uh, work as a junior uh, researcher, and my supervisor there asked me, "Would you like to do a PhD?" And uh, I don't know what a PhD is. What does it mean? And she invited me to be part of a, a program that at the time was called MIT Portugal, mm-hmm. uh, and that program offered me the opp- opportunity to start a PhD in bioengineering in a field that I didn't know that much. But uh, oh, it turned out to be, yeah, to graduate from the program in uh, bioengineering. Uh, and then during that time, I met my husband in the lab, okay. who he is Dutch. <laughs> okay. And then we had this deal that, uh, uh, yeah, he finished uh, first his postdoc at the time, and he came back to the Netherlands, and then I followed, followed him. Mm-hmm. So it was not science that brought me to Netherlands, but it was uh, love, mm-hmm. let's say. <laughs> And um, yeah, while I arrived here, I applied for several scholarships and then and there are some uh, European scholarships that allow you to uh, start, for instance, a postdoc in a different country that you have been before. And this is how I kicked off uh, mm-hmm. my, say, let's say, scientific career in the Netherlands. And it was not in Utrecht, it was in a, in a different place in Nijmegen, where I now live as mm-hmm. well. Uh, and then uh, this uh, postdoc ended and I was looking for another opportunity and uh, uh, there was this opportunity here at this department on a project called Bioartificial Kidney. <coughs> and during my uh, my PhD, I did bone. During the first uh, postdoc, I did bladder. 
Mm-hmm. And now I moved into kidney, but uh, at the, the um, core of everything was this tissue engineering, biomaterials, stem cells, uh, tools for the applications that uh, in this case was about the kidney. And while I was doing my uh, second postdoc here, it was um, an opportunity of studying uh, as an assistant professor in in vitro models of disease. And this is how mm-hmm. now everything is uh, uh, unfolding. And then when you were doing your PhD in Portugal, correct? Mm-hmm. That's when you went to uh, Boston at MIT. It was yes. a dual program. Yes. So this uh, program, it was a collaboration with MIT. So part of this program was that you could have the opportunity to go to MIT. Mm-hmm. Um, and then during my uh, my PhD, I did go to MIT to um, the group of Ali Kadem Hosseini mm-hmm. uh, for one year. It was an amazing experience. I I, I loved it. Yeah. Uh, again, it was a, a different lab, different culture, different way of doing things. So that was amazing for me. It was very important. Uh, and uh, what I really, really liked from those times is that there were a lot of people just like me there. But now they are. We are all scattered around the world. So. Yeah. We have that memory together of that mm-hmm. experience, and then whenever we meet, mm-hmm. uh, we still talk about it. But then we still uh, uh, keep contact, and then somehow we still meet, yeah, uh, in a work context or not work context, uh, yeah. social context and social gatherings, and we still meet. So we still keep those memories alive, and uh, yeah, that's a lot of fun. So. Was that your first exposure to organs on a chip? Yes, yes. It was my first exposure. And I think it was at the time where, uh, so I was then uh, at MIT in 2010. It was the very, very beginning mm-hmm. of this. Um, um, so it wasn't, uh, yeah, I didn't understand that much what it means. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, it was just cool science at that time. <clears throat> And then as I moved, uh, I came back from Portugal, uh, to Portugal to finish my uh, PhD. And then I moved to the Netherlands and more and more was, uh, we talked about uh, organ on chips and advanced in vitro models. And this idea of why exactly do we do that Mm -hmm. much research on animals? And um, uh, well, when I was in Portugal, I didn't do research on uh, animals, but when I moved to the Netherlands, the group, the first group in which I worked, they were doing a lot of uh, uh, large animal experiments, mm-hmm. so uh, uh, goats, uh, so um, pigs as well. So there was a lot of discussion. Do we really need this for the research question that we have? Can we not uh, refine better our research questions doing uh, alternative methods and then come uh, to the animals and so on? So that there was starting to, uh, this question start to arise. And then when I moved in here in Utrecht, it, uh, yeah. This was where the place where it exploded, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, and that is because there was a lot of um, desires from the society to come up with uh, different methods. There was a lot of desire from the scientists that were not happy with the methods that were in place. But also uh, at the academic level, there was a lot of uh, push to try to think also in alternatives. And that's how uh, organs on chip technology started to kick in also here in Utrecht also in the Netherlands already, but very much here. Uh, and this is how we also started here at the Department of uh, Pharmacology to use this, uh, uh, these tools. Yeah. So what are advanced in vitro models and why are they important? So advanced, advanced in vitro models are, uh, well, they are in vitro, so there is no... Um, um, 
animals being used, but they are biological mo- models in which we can probe, interrogate uh, specific biological processes. Uh, and then uh, one of the, uh, well, the classical is uh, using cells, which are also good, 2D, still good, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the research questions. Uh, the research question that we have and what we want what we understand by advanced in vitro models is that we bring more components of the physiology human physiology that can be interrogated in the system or replicated in the systems so for instance if you think about uh, the kidney kidneys produce urine there is a lot of blood flow can we uh, uh, have to can we replicate this interface between um, the blood flow and urine formation always in the context of the research question that we have so what we understand here by um, advanced in vitro models can be either uh, a 3D construct and that can be their cells are not grow- growing on a 2D but they grow in the scaffold or can be grown as organoids uh, mm-hmm. in that way. And we are looking also at, uh, depending again, I will probably repeat myself many times saying, depending on the research question, you always have to look as uh, uh, what exactly do I want? Mm-hmm. you cannot have it all well you can have it all but not at the same time mm-hmm. so you can always you need to pick your battles uh, in that way so then we look at what exactly do I want to interrogate and is flow relevant for my research question is it 3D relevant to my research question mm-hmm. or not so this is what we are trying to do and there are sometimes uh, uh, input that we have never thought of uh, for instance as I was mentioning a bit um, uh, before that we work here with a lot of kidney and chronic kidney disease and with the underlying condition uh, in chronic kidney disease there is a lot of um, uh, components that are in the blood that we are not in the, the healthy mm-hmm. population. So do we take that into consideration when we culture the cells in this, let's say, diseased environment? So that is also what we are uh, addressing when we discuss about advanced in vitro models. Yeah. So the, when you talk about 2D, we're thinking like Petri dishes, it's like on a single surface. And then the we mentioned it before the organs on a chip that's when we start getting 3d uh it depends on how uh, we, mm-hmm. well in the organs on chips you have the advantage of creating for instance perfusion mm-hmm. uh, you have the advantage of creating compartments mm-hmm. and when you have this uh, transport of molecules from the blood side to the urine side you need uh, an interface mm-hmm. that is crossed by the uh, molecules, mm-hmm. right? So then, for instance, in also in the models that we are generating, we are having uh, a membrane, and that membrane you can think we can engineer. Mm-hmm. We can have several designs of that membrane in which we culture cells, and uh, then we can apply flow. And then from the blood side, you see, oh, is this drug being eliminated in the urine, or is this drug uh, affecting the the um, barrier that the, the kidney cells are going to do? Uh, should create and so that they don't leak proteins so we should not have proteins in our urine mm-hmm. or blood mm-hmm. that means that the barrier is broken um, so that is what we are looking at but when you can also generate uh, organs on chips having 3D structures right mm-hmm. so the membrane can have features like can have curvatures and it can have uh, a certain shape that will give this 3 dimensionality and we are working a lot of epithelial so that means interfaces mm-hmm. so uh, Cells that create barriers. Mm. So there is a compartment uh, of 
of in and out. Mm -hmm. So this uh, transport. So we work a lot with those ones. Intestine, uh, uh, the kidneys. And one very interesting project that we have now, it's uh, uh, also bone. So back to the PhD time. Yeah. So we also work with that. And for bone, for instance, we are also looking at, um, uh, so bones have to carry the, the uh, our body weight. Mm -hmm. So that means that we cannot culture them in 2D. Right? Yeah. So they need to have a load. So we are looking how we can create mechanical loads into 3D uh, models of the bone so that we can see, for instance, in chronic kidney disease, bones are severely affected. Mm. And it's something that is called um, uh, uremic osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. uh, and then many patients suffer fractures. Okay. And uh, because it's a very... Uh, uh, patients with chronic kidney disease might be too sick to exercise, for instance, or to have a life of active, actively being, uh, um, yeah, having an active life. Then the bones uh, might not, uh, uh, yeah, uh, remodel that often, and then you might again lead to more fractures. So then we want to see how can uh, the disease might, uh, for instance, impair the sensitivity of the bone to feel mm. mechanical sen uh, the, the, the mechanical stimulation and that might lead to poor remodeling. So we are looking at bioreactors, like physically stimulating or culturing the cells in 3D matrices that can generate this kind of mechanics. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, for instance, is a, a 3D model, but in those models, we don't need flow. Yeah. There's no need for flow. So yeah. then again, you need to know very well what exactly you want to do in order to design the mm -hmm. the model. And then could you give like a broad description of what the organ on chip looks like? Just as like a like the ones that you showed us in the lab mm -hmm. today. <clears throat> like what does that look like or like an image people can think about? Well, uh, that will be very. Uh, I I would uh, not say that there is a recipe mm -hmm. for it. I think it's a, a matter of imagination. So we also try in the lab to be very creative. So, uh, and obviously, if you are going to Google organs on chips, you will see the chips that are generated at Wiz Institute, the small mm -hmm. chips made of PDMS. So usually, what we we when we design what we call an organ on chip, it doesn't necessarily need to be. Uh, uh, to look the same as the one that colleagues from Wiz Institute prepared. Mm -hmm. So it can be anyhow, anyhow and, uh, the, the way you wish, but we take into consideration several uh, aspects. So we want to make them transparent so that we can, make, uh, we can image them. We want to use materials that the cells will not die if they mm -hmm. are in contact. Uh, materials that don't leach, they don't have uh, traces of material that could uh, kill our cells. And uh, um, uh, very easy, to, uh, cheap, <laughs> preferably. Mm -hmm. Easy to uh, fabricate, easy to um, produce in the way that you would like to have a certain channel with uh, or um, a certain configuration that you can immediately do it. Uh, so uh, some versatile materials that we are also uh, looking at. And for instance, we collaborate a lot with um, colleagues that are material, that they mm -hmm. do material design and they help us also with the materials that we can use. Obviously, you want something that is uh, autoclavable or, or something that is... Uh, 
you can use it multiple times and if not uh, it's not that expensive so these are kind of uh, aspects that we are um, uh, addressing and then we come also with the biology mm-hmm. the biological questions that we have uh, but in principle these are the the aspects that it's uh, uh, easy to use very easy materials easy to fabricate um, that you can uh, adapt easily because if you have a material that, uh, or a system that you just need to change a parameter and it's not possible then it's not versatile anymore mm-hmm. so then it kind of constricts you so we try to be sometimes to create systems that we can build ourselves like a plug and play mm-hmm. a system that gives you a little bit of flexibility yeah yeah and with these models they're coming as a result of a move away from animal models could you talk a little bit about the efficacy between the two models yes so um it was it uh, besides the fact that uh, scientifically and in the field of in vitro uh, these are very nice models um, there is a very very strong uh, push to move away from uh, animal experimentation and that is not because oh we don't want to work with animals anymore uh, yeah it's because there is evidence that many of the findings that uh, um, in animals who didn't apply to humans. And that is uh, has to do also a lot with this uh, drug development pipeline. And that is where uh, we as scientists, we are uh, in, in contact a lot with uh, uh, companies that develop uh, drugs, so pharma companies. And many times they also said, well, we need to find a, a, a model that answers our questions. And if that model is a 2D, then we use the 2D. But then we need to challenge the model. And then many times they we had these discussions with them, what can we as scientists do so that the models that we are preparing are appealing for their screenings? So that we just don't do for the sake of doing, but there there will be uh, also a follow up on this. And then um, we, for instance, with uh, because we are talking about kidney, uh, there are many uh, uh, drugs that are eliminated via uh, by the kidney, so into urine, and then you create these profiles that are called clearance, and then you make this assessment. Okay, uh, the clearance of this compound is of this number so then you make go to humans and you see that it's something else and then you realize that um, um, the predictions that you had in rodent models that which has the, are the most used didn't fit what what you found mm-hmm. later on and then you could have d- done a better refinement before the animal uh, was uh, put in yeah you used it so now what we want to use with these advanced in vitro models is like to be a kind of a, a buffer zone before we even reach animals so did we do everything that we could do that can be done with the tools that we have to kind of refine much better the the conditions that we are going to test so that we don't do just uh, animals because this is what we have done all the time and we cannot draw conclusions because it's too uh, complex the system. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, especially in the Netherlands, there is a, a, a very strong desire to develop alternatives and to move away from animals, uh, from animal testing. So that for that, we develop human uh humanized models human mm-hmm. models um in which we address this kind of uh, different uh, uh, questions biological questions and then uh although the ambitions are high not to use animals at all we also have to be realistic and this will not happen overnight and it's not only about uh, people not working with animals anymore it's also about changing the mindset uh, creating the frameworks in which these results that are coming from the non-animal experiments are valid 
mm-hmm. validated uh, and then accepted by the society as valid. Uh, scientific society as well, but also um, the, the civil society. And then uh, uh, we are doing a lot on that. So we have the support, not only academic, but also governmental support, uh, the uh, non-governmental organization that support the work that we are doing. And then basically it's an entire ecosystem that aims to um, uh, bring sustainable innovation Mm-hmm. It's almost like when you want now that we are changing to alternative energy. Mm-hmm. Eh? Mm-hmm. So you cannot just do it overnight. So it has to be sustainable, long-term, a, a goal, a vision. So I know that sometimes we are just rebellious. And I don't want to do animal experiments anymore, but these things don't happen like this. They only last three days and then yeah. you have to go back to your old ways. So now what we try to do is develop... Um, um, the platform, the the framework in which this transition is sustainable and it can have, uh, it's here to stay yeah. rather than just being a fling of a moment and then gone. And it seems to be way more useful from my, my perspective, at least from the standpoint that you can go get a sample from the hospital, from a patient who has a certain disease, yes. a certain genetic background who might be different than the models we currently use. And then you put that on the membrane, you culture that, and then you put that specific sample onto the chip and then run tests with different drugs or different yes. conditions. And it just seems to be a, a way to create way higher efficacy for yes. whatever you're using. So we, uh, this is not a, anymore a one-man show mm. uh, science. So we are always, uh, what, what is the greater goal? What do we want to achieve? I think many people that are scientists, they want to do something. They want to contribute to the society. So we are working a lot in collaborations. We cannot do science on our own. Science uh, doesn't exist anymore. Uh, so we are always teaming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's uh, about team, altruism, and uh, and uh, empathy to the to what we want to achieve. Is not okay. We want to find out a cure for chronic kidney disease, or to to find how we can uh, delay the progression of the disease. So there is there uh, um, um, an interest to to help. Mm-hmm. somebody so for that we collaborate a lot and we collaborate with the hospital and that's why it's very important that for instance this is uh, the university and then across the street is the hospital sometimes we just need to cross that street mm-hmm. for many it can be very difficult to cross uh, but sometimes we just say okay it's indeed a, it's a hospital maybe the the setting is different the discussions are different the way they do work is different but we just are in a moment which are so open and ready to let's embark in this together because we all want the same thing. So why mm-hmm. trying to uh, work in uh, for, towards the same goal, but for in different routes, let's do it together. And then you multiply the, the efforts. And this is what we are doing at the moment. We collaborate a lot with the hospitals. The hospitals are very open. They create the framework in which they explain to the patients why. Mm-hmm. Why is it important? And then there is a, a, an increased awareness in the community about why do we need to do this kind of models. And then whenever you have this conversation, nobody's scared. Oh, what? But what are you going to do with my cells? Mm-hmm. Are you going to? What are you going to do with them? Eh? Yeah. So then there is uh, people are very forthcoming. Mm-hmm. And obviously, when you are needing uh, uh, cells from patients, they are in a place where. 
uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, a very difficult time for the family. Yeah. If you have to work, for instance, with the children's hospitals, it's very um, difficult time. But then uh, if the the um, uh, we have these colleagues that are preparing these kind of explanations and people are much more aware of what we do. Mm-hmm. And here is where outreach is very important, mm-hmm. where we go out of the lab put the lab coat in a hanger and then you just go out in the lab from the lab and explain to people what are we doing why are we doing and why uh, for, why are we doing it like this and not the other way mm-hmm. around so that we are very close to the society and basically we want to serve the society then people are much more for coming to support you in your uh, research and then it's not only the hospitals Mm-hmm. that are involved it's also the people that are talking about what is the impact of innovation mm-hmm. who's going to pay the bill at the end of the day who's okay we discovered a very very fancy treatment but that will cost uh, will be very expensive who's going to uh, to to make sure that this is a, a viable option for the insurance companies or mm-hmm. for the government to cover so that is also some uh, this uh, these colleagues are also involved in uh, uh, this discussion yeah. yeah, it seems like a much more holistic view yes. of impact. It's yes. not just I can get a, pu- a paper published. It's no, like this discovery will genuinely impact lives. Yes, and that was uh, uh, yeah, well, ten years ago when I was doing my PhD. There was this uh, oh, we just published, it's printed, and it's done. Mm-hmm. But now it's much more than this. Uh, uh, we don't want something a, a thesis in a bookshelf. Uh, mm-hmm. It will, it will not do anything if it sits in a bookshelf. Yeah. Only gain dust. Yeah. So now we are, uh, uh, what is very important for us oh, oh, as uh, researchers and then the next generation, the generation that is coming, okay, let's say maybe we are too rusty at our edges and might not be, uh, uh, we feel that we are just too old to innovate uh, as mm. much, but we really want to um uh, encourage the next generation to be as uh, courageous as possible. Uh, of, of course, uh, young people are ambitious, but sometimes you need to take some risks and we really encourage them to take those risks. I think at the university, the safety net is there. Mm-hmm. So if the project doesn't work, it's fine. The, 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 the Trying is very important. So uh, we try, especially with the, uh, the younger generation, to make them aware of the possibilities to to challenge the system to create a sort of rebellion uh, <laughs> calculated one yeah. not very strong uh no but we are really really uh, encouraging the young generation to really be part of the conversation and for that we do have uh, in the netherlands there is a young chapter mm. uh, it's for people until 35 I still feel that I am 35, although uh, <laughs> I, I feel young at heart. <laughs> but there is this um, group of young people uh, that really want to be at the table. This is our their future. Uh, so they want to be part of the discussion. This is how they see it. They want to be heard. And they are giving this spot at the table. So then it's very uh, uh, back and forth uh, and a lot of listening ears. So there's not the, the right way to do things, but uh, so there's nobody uh, having a better idea than the other ones. All ideas are listened and we 
decide together um, in this. So that's what we really, really encourage, uh, not only the collaboration, academic collaboration, but also academic uh, collaboration with industry, mm-hmm. with the people that are in between industry and academia. There was a time when in uh, when we were saying, yeah, um, when you finish your PhD and you move to industry, ah, yeah, you went to the dark side. <laughs> and there was uh, the other side. Yeah. yeah, yeah, You betrayed the academia, but now there's those lines are very blurred. Yeah. And we really talk a lot with uh, also people from industry uh, and people that uh, tell us what for a model to work, you need to have it validated. It has to be uh, standardized. I was like, oh, I never thought about standardization. Like, mm-hmm. I thought it was just a publication and done. I was like, okay, but uh, it worked uh, three times and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> but then also the standardization and implementation, how is it going to be used? How do you envision? Because if you have to connect a gazillion cables, I forget it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, for instance, in the meetings that we have with the clinicians, they say, "No, it will not work. It will not work." Why? Because it doesn't fit the system. You have to make it very easy to uh, adapt to what we have, right? Yeah. And with the youth chapter, is that isolated to youth in academia, or could anyone within the age group of thirty-five come in and express so, their uh, at the moment, so this, this is a uh, it's a, um, a program that in Netherlands is called TPI, so Transition to Animal Free Innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is uh, at the academic level. Okay. Oh. So all um, uh, across the Netherlands. And uh, it's a, a governmental program. Uh, so that means that um, every university can have a center on this so that, that they can uh, contribute to this. And then they have this young chapter, which is for the, the younger generation, PhDs, uh, bachelors, masters, whoever feels uh, uh, that they can be part of it. But it doesn't have to necessarily be uh, uh, biomedical. It can also be mm-hmm. people that are doing uh, more f- uh, no, science of innovation mm-hmm. that are more, f- let's say, philosophical in mm-hmm. their approach that don't necessarily have to be the ones pipetting in the lab, yeah. let's say hardcore, but that are part of the discussion and then be, can be also people doing law and governance and uh, how does governments work and how laws are put into place and who makes sure that the law is uh, being followed. So they are also, but uh, I think it all has to be in an academic setting so mm-hmm. that it's more organized uh, but at the same time for instance there are also other initiatives that are called helpathons mm-hmm. when one researcher says I have a problem I uh, want to create a Kinyon chip that is doing testing all these uh, drugs uh, uh, and I don't know how to do it, where to start so I'm launching the question to the community and then uh, the community uh, gathers for two days and then they help this person that came with this question as I did you think about what drugs did you think about what material but look from my experience I learned this maybe you should take it into consideration did you think where you are going to use it who's going to do it Uh, do you have any sponsor do you have finances so things that you might have not thought of but the community comes together Mm -hmm. and then help you to refine your question to find the methods to think about the impact in a more uh, in-depth way and can be any questions related to to animal uh, alternatives uh, in that way so it's again very nice here in the netherlands this organized yeah definitely seems very collaborative and very useful especially yeah. as we pr- progress a little bit more and now kind of jumping back into your specific work why did you focus on kidney models and 
maybe like what are you hoping to like answer yes so this uh, group in which i am at the moment um uh, well it's uh, the, the department of pharmacology and in the subgroup uh, that i'm part of it's experimental pharmacology and it was already dedicated to kidney mm -hmm. so that was mm -hmm. already the uh, core business let's say um of the group um and for that we are looking uh, uh, and in a way kidney is in in a setting of pharmacology is kind of, it's very important because it's the root of excretion of many many drugs mm -hmm. And then there are cancer drugs that are being eliminated by the kidneys and they can damage the kidneys. So then you also need to uh, look into these kind of aspects, for instance, when we discuss about certain treatments. Um, and then uh, I, as I started to, obviously, when I started, I didn't have that much kidney experience. I knew that everybody has them, <laughs> right? That it's important to have them. And I learned more and more. And one of the things that I... Um, uh, realize and it is always comes to create your own niche to create your own space i did my phd in bone and i had uh, um, uh, I, I understood what to, how to make bone models and so on and then as i was reading i realized that uh, uh, one of the complications in chronic kidney disease like it's also the this situation with the bones that they become very fragile mm. so now what one, one of the focus that we had in our group was also to understand how uh uh, when the kidneys are failing, you, uh, the kidneys, well, with the failing of the kidneys, the certain uh, metabolites that have to be eliminated via urine, so that are generated because we are just existing and mm -hmm. are alive. So metabolic waste is not eliminated and remains in the blood, and blood circulates oh. everywhere. Yeah, mm -hmm. and this is how it, all these kind of compounds that should have been eliminated reach everywhere. Mm -hmm. So that's why when we discuss about chronic kidney disease, we don't discuss only about the fact that the kidneys are not working, is that the system is slowly um, falling apart. Mm -hmm. So one of them is the kidney, the intestines, the brain, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of cardiovascular complications. So then you end up having this kind of very complex system in which, okay, how can I... Uh, it's very tempting to use animals for this because mm -hmm. then if you do a kidney injury, then you realize how other organs are being affected. And this is also why we are thinking about um, working a lot with organs on chip because then we can connect different chips. Mm -hmm. And then you can, for instance, uh, use patient uh, plasma. So that's why we have the collaboration with the hospital because they can give us uh, uh, plasma from patients that are having the disease. Mm -hmm. And then we can apply, we can culture ourselves with this uh, plasma, for instance, and then you can see, okay, what is happening in the bones, what is happening, for instance, in the brain, uh, because we also have brain models, and what is happening with the intestine, uh, in, in the, in, with the intestinal cells, and then you can create this kind of uh, connections. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is how I'm now uh, uh, looking, especially with what I'm doing uh, in my research, as a research focus, is to, to understand these comorbidities associated with the, the failing of the kidneys and how uh, like one organ is failing as affecting the other one and mm. this kind of communication that exists between the organ. And that is via the blood in yeah. this case. Yeah. But as I said, it goes everywhere. So all uh, there are many organs that are being affected when mm -hmm. you have this kind of diseases. Yeah. And are any... Theoretically, are any organs able to become chip models? I was uh, recently, uh, I think uh, in, at the end of June, there was a, a very, very big conference. It was the Microphysiological System Summit. And there were about uh, 1,300 researchers doing organ-on-chip. And uh, it's a, it was a very interesting meeting. 
it was a worldwide meeting. So, uh, and then it was what was very interesting is that there were organs that I never thought. And uh, it was also uh, a, uh, like stroke. Uh, so, uh, okay, you can do uh, organs, but you can also do certain diseases, eh? okay. uh, seizures. How? How? Seizures. That's so that's it was crazy. very, very interesting because it was again coming back to what is your research question? What exactly do you, who are the key players in, for instance, this disease? Um, and then what, what was also very important was uh, eye, so cornea, retina, how? And then there are many, in, uh, many. Um, uh, uh, for instance, one of the the things that we discuss for uh, uh, we discuss also with the colleagues that we have here, we have colleagues that are working a lot with autism, and then it's very difficult autism to uh, to do in vitro because autism is behavioral. So you can do animal autistic yeah. mice and then you see how socially they are just different than non-autistic ones. Mm -hmm. So then it's also a very big discussion. Uh, discussion. Um, yeah, we we talk about it. How uh, is it possible to have in vitro models for this kind of uh, situations? Uh, uh, what are the limitations? Because in vitro models are not the answer of everything. Mm -hmm. So we need to also acknowledge their limitations and where that limitation uh, gives power to the in vivo models mm -hmm. in this case. So um, I would say that uh, theoretically it should be possible to mm -hmm. have all uh, systems that we have in our body, even hearing. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. so it's uh, um, now being uh, developed in Maastricht even. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, there is, theoretically, yes. Now, again, you have, do you have the right tools? Do you have, do we, or should we still have to develop more tools to address uh, certain limitations that we currently face? Uh, the cells, the systems, how do you measure hearing? What mm -hmm. is hearing? What is, uh, what, yeah, what is a behavioral uh, traits in vitro? Like, is it all um, biology and chemistry and uh, molecules moving? Or, uh, again, is a, an entire system that behaves in a certain way? So, again, of, obviously, we need to look at the limitations as well and then to see how we can push further the boundaries so that we can incorporate even more. Yeah. yeah, and you mentioned the communication pathways between the different organs. Could you explain a little bit how that's replicated in the models? So now what we, as I was mentioning a little bit before, we, um, for instance, we have a project that is about the connection between the gut and the kidney. So we have two chips. One is the gut part, and so it contains intestinal cells that are cultured either on a membrane or in a tube, and, a hollow tube, and then we can perfuse. And what comes from the, uh, the the inner perfusion, let's say that will be the blood compartment, reaches the kidney. So that it reaches in the chip that has kidney cells, again, on a membrane or on a tube, and it reaches the, the, the kidney cells from the bottom. So that will be like as the blood will reach the cells. And then you see how what comes out into what we call the urine compartment. Mm -hmm. So if, for instance, you can uh, think about, okay, I uh, eat something i have the microbiome there is a bacteria that is in our uh, guts and that processes these uh, uh, nutrients and then they are passing the barrier into the intestine into the blood then it's circulated and reaches down to the to the kidney so we are looking especially in our research we are look at molecules like mm -hmm. how molecules travel 
and for that we uh, look at either drugs, either metabolites, uh, either cytokines, uh, and so on. So for that, it's very important for instance to have detection methods, real time. Mm -hmm. uh, detection methods. So for that, we work with uh, colleagues that are doing um, uh, um, uh, sensing platforms that you can do this uh, biomarker discovery and real-time imaging or real-time detection of certain compounds. And also um, a little bit... Uh, uh, I was mentioning also, uh, we collaborate with other colleagues that are kind of doing uh, movement of, of compounds on porous surfaces, but are not necessarily biological. So the colleagues from geology, that they are also looking at uh, movement of uh, uh, in, uh, through the soil, how water uh, penetrates the soil. So then we work with them, for instance, in understanding how certain molecules uh, pass the barrier of the intestine, reach the kidney, and then from the blood go into the urine, so they pass the barrier of the kidney. So this is how we are working at the moment. And for that, we obviously, molecules have different sizes, and it's very nice that we can have them colored, mm -hmm. because then we can easily detect them. So mm -hmm. we can image them one by one, so then you can see how they uh, uh, are being... Um, uh, moved from one side to another and at the same time you can play with the flow so then you can see how flow affects and in chronic kidney disease uh, one of the complications is uh, hypertension mm -hmm. so then there's higher blood flow so the, the there is much more high uh, it's much higher blood flow through the kidney mm -hmm. so that's why they can also get further uh, uh, damaged because mm -hmm. of this uh, high blood flow so this is also something that we are looking into it so it's playing with this kind of, um, uh, uh, yeah, with f uh, flow in this case. But communication for us at the moment means molecules being moved from one side to another and how you can uh, see that, okay, one compound, it was in the intestine and somehow ended up in the urine compartment of the kidney. And that is via the transporters of this, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the, the cells. So the basically the in and outs. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then before this, when we were talking, you talked about the models of flow and diffusion across the membranes like that might be able to be used to personalize dosing for medicine and treatment could you maybe expand a bit on yes, that here yes that is a very important uh, thing because we are not a chip uh, mm -hmm. We are very different, very diverse, very, and many times, uh, this is also something that we are doing again in collaboration because, okay, as I said, we can be expert in, we prefer to be expert and very good at what we are doing uh, and then collaborate with other colleagues and that they, um, what it's called this uh, in vivo to in vitro, uh, in, uh, in, in vitro to in vivo extrapolation, mm -hmm. where the data that we generate, because we can generate a lot of data, but it's a, uh, uh, sort of and so what <laughs> kind of uh, so what is what is the meaning of this data what can we do further with this data so then we have these colleagues that will say okay but if you have for instance a one kilo kidney um, you only have a few cells but we this is the weight of a kidney of an adult but what is the weight of a kidney uh, of a uh, that is of a child and so on so this kind of adaptation of the system that we need to do and these are uh, already pre-established equations uh, sometimes um, researchers that are doing hardcore uh, cell experiments might be a little bit scared to see these kind of things and they run away but I, one of the things that we try to encourage don't be scared everybody uh, as long as you are willing to learn there should not be anything to be scared of I'm still learning a lot of things so 
I think we should start to worry when we don't want to learn anymore. Yeah. Then I think it's an issue. Uh, and then if we think that we know it all, it's not true. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think for us, it's very important to collaborate with these colleagues that are, okay, this data of yours has meaning mm -hmm. in this context. So as I said, we can generate a lot of data, beautiful graphs, IC50s, uh, okay, the cells are dying at this dose, uh, beautiful chips, uh, another beautiful, another model, another and another. So you end up having an, a novel model, a novel model, but then, mm -hmm. okay, and, and what's next? Mm -hmm. So then we need to give relevance to the data that we have and relevance to the context that we want to be used for. Right? So that's why I think you always need to have this context of use. Mm -hmm. What exactly do you want to use it for? Again, you, you cannot have a chip that will do everything. Yeah. So again, the research question that you have in mind and then what are the, the experiments that you need to do in order for your claims to be valid? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we say, oh, this uh, chip has the potential of revolutionizing uh, drug development. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> and what are the tools? What do we need to do in order for us to to disrupt uh, the what is being done at the moment? What steps do we need to take further? So this is something that again comes uh, because we talk with companies, uh, the, um, the pharma industry. It's uh, they are also coming to us and say, okay, let's do this together. Uh, we they, we have programs in which. Companies are paying, for instance, uh, giving scholarships for PhDs to do the PhD with us, mm -hmm. but then to to further develop the the pipeline or the models that they are using while still in an academic setting. So it's not uh, the the good side and the bad side, the bad cop, uh, good cop anymore. This is we are all in this um, uh, together, and again with the assistance of the regulators, of the developers that are kind of okay, make sure that this is in a certain context that you are clearly describing what you are going to use this for, uh, what what are the expected outcomes, what are the limitations, mm -hmm. as again, you cannot have it all, um, and in which context you want to use the model that you have just uh, developed. So uh, that is how we are uh, at the moment looking at. And what are some of the biggest challenges facing the development of these models? Like what What are some of the issues that you guys are working through now? Okay, yeah. <laughs> I will be very honest uh, about it. I think um, uh, there are several challenges, okay? So let's say in an academic setting, uh, the old way was like, okay, we need publication. I'm, I'm doing a PhD and I need to publish in order to finish my PhD. So many times it's like, I'm, I'm going to start again from scratch. I'm going to develop a new gut-on chip. Mm -hmm. But aren't the other models gut-on chip already good enough? Do we really need another one? So then you end up having uh, flavors of the same kind, yeah, many things of the same kind, but they are very different uh, in a way that one has uh, the seeding density is different, the other one has a material that is a polycarprolactone and the other one is uh, SPCL. So mm -hmm. th this kind of differences in between. But then the question is like, uh, you tested drug A and I tested drug B. Uh, you tested uh, drug A at concentration X. You tested drug A at concentration Y. Mm -hmm. So very different. And then the, the idea is like, shouldn't we just have everything in one um, platform so that if i am developing a new model i'm going to text i'm going to test drug a b at concentration x y mm -hmm. and then we are uh, so that i can compare my my the data that i have with what is already there and that makes it sometimes very difficult the comparisons mm. is my 
cheap better than the other one because I don't have a reference. Mm. So this is what we are also uh, very much looking into and this has to do with the entire community. So it's not a university or it's not a country. It's we as a community of uh, developers of this kind of models, we look at, okay, we need a framework and we say, okay, if you want to show that your chip is uh, used for uh, proximal tubule uh, uh, nephrotoxicity, you need to test 20 drugs at these concentrations for this amount of, the, and these are the the um, uh, um, uh, output parameters that you need to look at. All is the same. So then, if you are developing a new one, you go and match it to the to this mm. kind of matrix, and then you so that you can compare with the the um, developments of another colleague. Obviously, everybody will say that their chip is better. Mm. It's obvious you have to sell it. Eh? Uh, but sometimes I think there there are some efforts that might not be necessary in that mm -hmm. way. Only if we would have this kind of uh, um, uh, regulations around it, and this is happening. So it's, okay. mm -hmm. it, it is happening uh, because, and then we just need to accumulate more information to see exactly what are the the reference uh, reference drugs that we need to use or uh, the the assays that we need to do. Mm -hmm. So for that, there are a lot of um, what are the key events that yeah. we are interested in and for that there are other um, big uh, uh, for instance consortia that are looking at it to create uh, to facilitate my research mm -hmm. so that I say okay what kind of drugs do I need to, to show well there is this uh, list A, B, C, D and so on another um, challenge in this field is that there are uh, colleagues that they have done this for 20 years in the same way and sometimes uh, the, now the challenge is coming of changing and uh, implementing uh, alternatives but then uh, it requires a little bit of uh, it's an uncomfortable position to be like i have done this the same this way my entire career and now i need to change that will require an investment uh, a learning moment uh, a time where you feel vulnerable and maybe not the smartest person in the room because you don't know a lot of things mm -hmm. and that requires a little bit of um, being a little bit humble and say okay i'm accepting i'm embracing it's happening what can i do to uh, to gracefully uh, be part of it mm -hmm. and sometimes uh, this is happening uh, a bit of a resistance of oh, i'm lost if i don't do it the way i know i did it 20 years and this is how i know how to do it. these are the protocols so that can be for sometimes uh, uh, an issue and for instance when you when we publish if we have published uh, something that doesn't have animal experiments and then you get a comment from the reviewer, well, what where is your validation in uh, the animal models? Oh, yeah. I just describe uh, my my goal was not to use the... Uh, so then yeah. you also have this kind of uh, interventions from the reviewers. Mm -hmm. Um and that's why it's very important to have this kind of validation framework in which you can say, okay, but I pass my my model through this validation framework and I can say that it's okay. Like I can use this as a, to bypass, for instance, some animal experiments or at least to contribute to the reduction of the, um, and the, the replacement of this kind of uh, experiments. And um, uh, I think, uh, and, and that's why, for instance, in this kind of discussions, it's very important for the young people generation to already be aware of this kind of uh, models and then when they are in discussions to say okay but what about this mm -hmm. to put it in the discussion and uh, uh, I, I, I and I, I totally understand that sometimes when you are young and you only hear you are afraid to say things mm. but uh, I think we appreciate most when young people they do talk yeah 
because we know that like sometimes it takes a lot of courage because of course you feel um, you are at the beginning maybe you don't know every, well, you don't know enough and you feel that what you know is not um, appreciated or but i think it's the, uh, we really really uh, encourage young people to speak up uh, there is no uh, as i said i am still learning so mm -hmm. i want to learn so i want to hear and um, yeah learning is also feeling as i said being, being in a position of uh, uh, vulnerable and acknowledging the fact that you don't know but you are also in a position of uh, okay i'm ready to know mm -hmm. so please tell me so i think that is very important for the young uh, people and for that we need to have educational um, uh, systems in place that prepare the young generation for what is to come so uh, one of the things that we have is that okay we say ah the old way that let's call it yeah they are too young they don't understand these kind of things but what we are the decisions that we are making now the the young generation is going to live in five years mm -hmm. or ten years the consequences of our decisions the, all the older people decisions eh? mm. so what we try for instance here is uh, to do at the university is also to uh, empower the students be part of the conversation come to meetings where we are discussing science not only listening to lecturers that prepared uh, that they prepare very very sugar-coated um, yeah. everything is beautiful and it works and look how but also to see okay not every time it works to see that scientists are vulnerable and uh, can admit well this was a major failure. I wrote a grant and I didn't get it. And yeah, to see a little bit my disappointment when these kind of things happen, because uh, then they also uh, uh, understand the value of the science and of the effort that you put uh, when and things when things go well. That is indeed a celebration, and that we need to to acknowledge. But also that sometimes things don't work. And then it is important that to acknowledge that things don't always work. And that is not necessarily a defeat, but then it's a push to move forward. So that is what we try here to do um, uh, in Utrecht, to involve students from already their bachelor time. Mm -hmm. So when they are 20 and partying, <laughs> but to make them aware, okay, this, this is, these are the possibility. Uh, the, these are the possibilities. This is what is happening. Be sure that you are in the train. Mm -hmm. Take the ride, enjoy the ride, but then uh, to embrace it as much as possible so that uh, it doesn't come as a surprise when they are already ahead of a PhD. And yeah, so this is uh, very, very important for us. And then on that note, could you talk maybe about the space of regenerative medicine as a whole, kind of what the field is doing and where you see it going and maybe where students might find the new path forward to be like very interesting or very exciting? Yeah, so uh, regenerative medicine is a uh, tissue engineering. Regenerative medicine is already here for a long, long, long time. So also when I did my PhD, it was uh, tissue engineering, tissue engineering. But then at the end of the, we talk so much about it. But if we look a little bit, there's nothing, uh, there's not, we don't know much of a tissue engineer product that is available mm -hmm. to be used. So mm -hmm. it's not, I don't know, any of something that is already approved and ready to use. So uh, it was a lot of development, development, a new material, a new thing, a new a new thesis, a new, you work with stem cells from the umbilical cord, but, and then another PhD thesis, stem cells from the bone marrow. And mm -hmm. All of, the, of, and then it was, Okay, but what for? This is what I think was missing. And I think what now the field is trying to do is like, okay, we, we did a development. We have the materials. We believe we have some good models. Now it's time 
not to go back to like not to reinvent again but to with what we have to push forward mm-hmm. and that is uh, for instance we um uh, there are all this uh, where the collaboration with the clinicians is very 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 important mm-hmm. so uh, to, uh this is what we uh, i think the field is going uh, is embracing this part of clinical relevance. Is it important? Is it a need? How we are going to do it? Who's going to use it? Uh, uh, the, the implement this part of implementation, which is not very sexy to discuss if you are a scientist. How is going to be implemented? How is going to be packed? Mm-hmm. What is going to be the size? We don't think about these kind of things, and that is very important now. And then I think eventually, if we uh, push and advance um, uh, in, in towards towards the the uh implementation of it and uh the real use how we are going to use then we can uh, have some very very nice uh, uh advancements in the field um so basically the point is not to start to reinvent again another mm-hmm. material i think we have all the tools in place eh? i think we do have good materials at do think we have good cells or at least to to pro at, uh, we have now um uh, all sorts of methods to evaluate. So now it's just more into the application and into the implementation uh, phase. And then do you, so that sounds like a kind of an academic towards clinical route, bottom up. Do you think the current healthcare industry and the doctors and the clinicians and the hospitals, are they accepting of all these new technologies and wanting to work with the academics to start to implement these new treatments and technologies. Yeah, so uh, in the Netherlands, we have the academic hospitals, so mm-hmm. they also do research. There are a lot of clinicians that do research, and they are very open towards uh, research and towards mm-hmm. academic minds, mm-hmm. uh, I would say. So we are t- trying to... Um, uh, th- 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 there is a, synerg- it's a, a synergistic space mm-hmm. in which we give room for everybody to speak. And then, as I mentioned also, when we developed our model, the clinician would say, why are you using this drug? We never prescribe this drug to patients. So why would you even try it? So then we ha- there are a lot of clinicians that are passionate about science and passionate about research. They have patient duties, so they the mm-hmm. clinic duty, they, and they have um, uh, th- 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 this part. Then they also have these discussions with us. And what is very, very important, uh, what we have here in the Netherlands is also the patient organizations. So we have meetings with patient organizations. And many times uh, we were in a meeting one time and we are discussing about this very fancy machine that you can do dialysis at home and it will help your life. And Very fancy scientific, from a scientific, the chemistry of it and the mm-hmm. thing that was very cool. And then one of the patients was like, but uh, do I need to plug it in? Yeah, you will have to plug it in because you need, uh, and then how much will be the electricity bill? I was like, we never thought about it. Yeah. So if you cannot afford, you can have the fanciest thing and uh, is the health insurance going to cover it and things like that. We never thought about it. So it was also very interesting for us to see how patients come mm-hmm. forward and say, well, I, this is not uh, my major concern. I can do dialysis. I don't mind if I do it, it takes this these are my concerns i don't like that i need to eat cannot eat steak and that i need to restrict my bread intake and there are other things that they are bothered and we were inventing problems oh no we were inventing solutions to problems that might have not been there yeah just because we don't we don't go through the the situation and that's why um, the collaboration with clinician also brings us in a context in which we can see and we can meet these patients that we aim 
to help with our research and then it gives you a totally different perspective so if there is any possibility for whoever is listening to us and wants to know what is the relevance to go and see and talk and engage with people that are suffering and we want to help then you will see, you will get also a a, a, a a sort of a moral and ethical motivation to really do good science mm -hmm. and really if this this is at the the what motivates you that you want to help uh, i think that is very important and that's how uh, if i wouldn't have been in contact with the clinicians i would have never mm -hmm. ever uh, been for, seen for instance a, a dialysis ward or talk to a dialysis patient and for that person to tell us well these are my challenges i have a lot of each i'm frustrated i cannot eat a steak yeah and i was like oh, i didn't know about these kind of things eh? yeah and then it gives you a different uh, perspective and it, uh, it boosts you with a different type of energy mm -hmm. it is not yeah. only okay i want to do good science and i want to publish high but why for who am i doing this and then you really steer your research towards that yeah uh, that way yeah it seems like that collaboration could really help align the problem solving yes yes and again it's about um um uh, it's what we do that takes the stage it's at the uh, for who we do and uh, how we can help those people uh, to have a better life a better outcome of their lives many are now that we are talking about the dialysis patients they cannot uh, enjoy a holiday on a remote island mm -hmm. because they are only they always need uh, uh, to be close to hospital where they can do dialysis mm -hmm. so uh, then it gives you as a researcher you say okay i have a i have a duty almost mm -hmm. That my research that I'm doing, that I'm invested in such a, in, in my work, that I really want to make it and then to make a change, to make to support, to help, and then you the decisions that you are making are more go going uh, there. So I think it's very very important this collaboration, and we are, everybody wants the, the clinicians want to help, we want to help, everyone wants to push. Uh, uh, forward and I think it's always important to do it together because then mm -hmm. you have much more momentum and much more strength force um, sometimes you need the funding and if you are uh, the push is uh, from many people then the funding becomes available uh, and so on because at the end of the day also the research that we are use, uh, we are we are doing is paid by public money so mm -hmm. we are becoming accountable to the taxpayer in that way. So they can come, what did you do with the money? Mm -hmm. I wanted you to test a new way for dialysis. Were you able to do it? So then you become really, really uh, a sort of, uh, uh, you have this duty to do the good, good science. Yeah. And for students looking to get involved in this space, do you have any advice on places they can go, whether online, research opportunities, any summer classes that might be available? Yes, so there, uh, I think one of the good things that came out of the pandemic <laughs> was that there were many things that uh, moved into the online space. So if, for instance, at conferences, uh, uh, it, conferences are always a nice opportunity for you to start to, to see what is happening in the field, do some networking and so on, but not everybody can go to conferences mm -hmm. or uh, traveling is a hassle and so on. So now there is a lot of things that are happening um, uh, online, oh, even on YouTube, mm -hmm. but I love YouTube <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I also go on YouTube and I'm looking for answers there and I found all sorts of uh, recorded lectures and um uh, you have this uh, series of uh, the tissue talks from uh, from uh, Columbia University they are very 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 good mm -hmm. 
I almost religiously follow them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that is also for me to, uh, to freshen up my uh, knowledge. So, oh, what are colleagues from uh, MIT doing? Let's see. Yeah. Or other colleagues from other uh, places which otherwise I would have not uh, had the possibility to to listen to them. And it's always a, a, a moment of inspiration. Sometimes mm -hmm. you have this uh, writer's uh, block uh, and then you really want to uh, uh, push forward and then you just need a little bit of inspiration for, and then an idea can come and so on. So there are all sorts of online um Uh, uh, webinars uh, and so on. Uh, what we uh, do, for instance, here in the, in the Netherlands, there are some national initiatives of in terms of education. So open education as well. It's not only open science, but also open education. Mm -hmm. So that means that you are kind of in the driving seat of your own education. And if you, for instance, you study in Utrecht, but you know that there is a very interesting course in at, at another university, what stops you from taking it and why should the system education system stop somebody from taking a course like this so uh, and we also have challenges so that means that students from different universities they can come together a very nice opportunity for students to also meet uh, colleagues from different universities mm -hmm. that learn different things mm -hmm. so that uh, they put their knowledge uh, uh, at use and obviously you, uh, if uh, you are studying biology and you are going to meet with somebody that is doing a little bit more biomaterials in the team you are the expert in biology so you have yeah. a word to say at the table so these kind of projects uh, we we uh, uh, do and i think um, this is also it's uh, sometimes the information is not visible is not there you will not find a catalog where you see you google it's like where i can find and then you get a lot yeah. of information so sometimes it's also very important to ask And then um, uh, what we do, what I personally do, I have some researchers that I follow. Mm -hmm. So I follow, the, I see their updates. And usually, okay, they are, uh, for instance, uh, uh, say, okay, I managed to have this grant or I'm going to do this project. So that means that there will be an opportunity or an opening soon on this mm -hmm. kind of projects. Um Uh, for instance, now uh, there were the the ERC, the, which are the, this European uh, Research Council big grants in uh, Europe. Uh, have the, the results have just been uh, released. Mm -hmm. So these are projects in which uh, the PI, the person that uh, submitted these kind of projects and was awarded, is going to look for PhDs and postdocs. Mm -hmm. So you know that it's coming. So you just need to be ready. Yeah for when the call for an open PhD position is uh, uh, coming. And I think it has to do also uh, trying to, um, what I do, uh, for instance, on LinkedIn, mm. I see a lot of uh, researchers uh, because everybody likes uh, posts and then you see, oh, I didn't know about this person. And then uh, I usually uh, engage with them or uh, I, I really try to write comments mm. because one, if, if somebody achieves uh, manages to get a very, very big run, this is something to, to congratulate about. Mm. It's not only a thumbs up, but it's also congratulations on this massive achievement and so on. And this is how you create a little bit also of a network eh? that you become a little bit visible in the space. Um, and then you see how, other, how others are moving, for instance, on LinkedIn, you see what is happening and then uh, uh, always take a little bit of a proactive role in that way to mm -hmm. to uh, engage with people uh, no i from my experience uh, 
I think researchers are very happy when they get uh, an email. Oh, I'm really curious about your work. And I think we, we are even feeling flattered about mm -hmm. it. Um, so uh, I, I think it's uh, whatever fears or barriers or ah, I'm just too young. Oh, I'm not experienced. No, out. Mm -hmm. Do some a little bit of pep talk to yourself. As I know, just do it. And mm -hmm. I think uh, for us, the message that comes to us is like, okay, they pass by, uh, they they dropped, uh, they put aside this barrier, they put aside the fear, they put aside the fact that they might, uh, the, the insecurities that they might not know everything, and they reached out to me. That I can appreciate. Mm -hmm. That means that you are really motivated, that you really uh, are uh, capable of uh, putting aside what you think that is uh, a barrier and say, okay, but I really want it, so I'm going for it. So for me, it's a motivation. Yeah. That's what I read, right? Yeah. For maybe for the young people doing this, will be ah, oh, maybe it's too bold. Maybe oh. no. Yeah. For us, it's really a motivation, determination, ambition, and you want people like this in your team that will not uh, that will not be afraid to push a little bit to break, put barriers aside. Yeah. Well, that's a very inspiring message to kind of wrap <laughs> this up on. Do you have any other like parting words of wisdom or advice? Or well, I don't know if there are words of say? wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I think it's, um, uh, uh, I would really like to, uh, to say that the future belongs to you. Mm. So, Embrace it, take it, be part of it. And then, uh, yeah, you might think, okay, the future for, for you to live the future that you want, you need to be part of the present mm -hmm. now. So you need to speak up now because you will live that future. So I think it's very important. The same thing I'm saying for myself. Eh? Mm. So if uh, the same discussions we have, for instance, with the uh, professors that are retiring, that probably make certain decisions for my future. So I want to be part of the conversation. So I think uh, um, uh, with this um, mindset, I think we can really achieve a lot. We are all in this together. There's no need for uh, competition and uh, elbow, mm. yeah, making rooms and so on. There is room for everybody. Everybody, I think, is unique and has a, a something to say that is unique. So I think it's yeah, the opportunities are there. The 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 stage is open for this kind of uh, opportunities. It's just a matter of just do it, huh? Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was very very, very nice to have a chat with you and to, for you to challenge me yeah. <laughs> to verbalize sometimes what I also think and doesn't come out because I'm not being asked. So now I, it was nice to have this chat with you as well. Perfect. To continue your learning, go to our website, discoveringacademia.com. There, you will find the show notes, resources mentioned, ways to get involved, and much more pertaining to each professor. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and join our newsletter to stay up to date. Until next time. <laughs>